Welcome back to Fresh Off the Pod. I'm Eva. And I'm Shane. And we have a lot to dive into for today. But a quick refresher for our new friends joining in. Fresh Off the Pod is an infotainment podcast about trending headlines, youth issues, and... uh, What's hot? Oh, hot. Hot. (laughs) Yeah, okay. But anyway, we have a very interesting and relatable topic today. So we want to dive into this whole topic of imposter syndrome. And to me, I think it feels a bit like playing Duck, Duck, Goose. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Duck, Duck, Goose, but it's like the one, the childhood game where you sit in a circle and then someone calls like Duck, 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 and you're always waiting to see if somebody's going to call you out as the goose. Oh, so are you the goose? (laughs) Yeah, so maybe I'm the goose today. Will we get called out? This is kind of like the atmosphere of imposter syndrome. And anyway, today we've invited a very special guest on the podcast. I love her brain. I love her as a person. And before she says hi, I want to introduce a little bit about her work and like what she's done so far. So Our guest today has completed many successful commercial and art campaigns. She is known as Tan Yang'e. So she's she's also known by her alias Yanger Meister. And she's a multidisciplinary Singaporean artist who creates immersive, multi-sensory experiences. And right now she's sniggering. (laughs) Are you sniggering? But yeah, so her international achievements also include being the best visual art director. This happened in 2017. It was the Mnet Asia Music Awards. It's widely known as MAMA. It's still happening, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So in a nutshell, she is a real storyteller, both visually and with words. We want to quickly dive into it, but I'm just going to introduce a little bit more about her and her CV, her very extensive CV. Yeah, so you can yeah. see her work at the Art Science Museum. Mental Colours of Wellbeing exhibition that's happening from now till the 26th of February. I really want to go for it. Have you have you seen the the setup for it? I have seen the wigs. On TikTok. Yeah, she'll, she'll talk more about it later. Yeah, yeah. we're going to ask her more about it. And she was the set designer for the 2022 Vogue Singapore September cover, as well as the art director and the set designer for the Charles and Keith Group and Pedro Fall Winter 2020 campaign. Yes, so in a nutshell, lots and lots of achievements, but I still want to <laughs> mention a few more. This is so Asian, you know? Yeah, like, you, <laughs> it keeps going. You know, yeah. like, we need to send this podcast link to her mom. It's like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> yeah, so Yang's notable projects also include like a Mediacorp TV series known as Mixed Signals. And for those of us who are unfamiliar with it, um, it's a primetime local TV and digital show. So she was the production designer and the head of the art department. And she has also been art director and set designer for two very notable music videos. Jasmine Soko's Hurt, that was in 2018, and Keep Me Jealous by the Sam Willows. <laughs> and now we will... <laughs> get to hear from Yang now. So everybody say hi to Yang. Hello. What's up? Hi, guys. Okay, I need to make a request. I only want Eveth to read my bio from now on. <laughs> Why? Wait, you want to read the ASMR voice? Like, it's there like were multi-sensory experiences. Yes. Yes. I did have an exhibition that I, uh, installation that I created, the ASMR Wonderland. So, oh, yes. yeah, this was in 2018. Sentosa one. Yeah, so okay. now 
I'm gonna request that. Yeah, from now on, only you read my bio. <laughs> so, so Yang, I know we've said a lot, but we also want to hear from you, like directly. Maybe you can start us off by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You know, don't don't spare the juicy details. Like, who are you? Wow, wow, you want to go there right we now? We want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. Nah. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Yang. Um, okay, so for my work, commercially, yeah, I work as an art director, set designer um, for the past seven years now. And then as well as um, the fine arts. So building installations for events to like mixed media installation works. And I have a pension for spaces for how people interact with space, mm-hmm. how they behave in mm-hmm. a space. But yeah, but at the same time, I you know, I still love photography, paintings and all that. So kind of... um Everything, everywhere. I want to just say follow your heart really, you know, as cliche as it is, but or whenever your butt is itchy, you know, just do something about it. <laughs> yeah. My butt is itchy now. Okay, I'm not going to scratch yeah, it. Yeah, we, we don't want to know like any unwarranted updates from Shane. <laughs> so before he launches into that, this is not his only fans. We want to start us off by... Talking about our headline of today. Yes, so yeah. our headline for today is from Today Online. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes, They're well-educated and holding good jobs, but feel like a fraud. And uh, psychologists call it imposter syndrome. Yes, so this is something that has been discussed quite a bit in the past few years. Mm. A lot of us feel this syndrome and for some reason, we don't know how to resolve it or talk about it. So we want to dive deep into this article. A global survey found that Singaporean office workers, so that's me and Shane, context, um, are more likely to experience imposter syndrome than compared to other countries like Australia, Japan, United Kingdom. And this survey was done by Asana. So for those of us who are not corporate baddies, it's a workplace productivity app. And so they did this survey and they found out that nearly three quarters that 74% of Singaporean workers have experienced imposter syndrome in 2020. So the global average of this is 62. So <laughs> Singapore, as usual, we need, we to, nervous. We need yeah. to outdo the competition. So uh, this survey, of course, uh, uh, reached out to more than 13,000 uh, office workers. 1,000 of them were in Singapore. And um, some of the common warning signs that you face uh, when you experience imposter syndrome can include feelings of self-doubt, anxiety, and if you don't manage it, it can sort of lead to burnout and depression. So uh, maybe let's put a little bit of a definition to what imposter syndrome is. Yes, so actually, imposter syndrome was first identified in 1978, very history lesson, um, by American psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and also Suzanne Imes, I think, according to the International Journal of Behavioral Science. So this was actually observed from women during therapy by Dr. Pauline. Um, it was observed in highly successful female college students and professionals. And these women were quite highly respected in their various fields. Yes, and uh, imposter syndrome can be defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Mm. So in short, it has to do with the inability to believe that your success is deserved. Yep. So around 70% of people will have experienced imposter syndrome at least once in their lives, but it's not exclusive to women. You know, it can also apply to men, to people who hail from all walks of life, 
but it has been observed more commonly in high flyers and also like people who belong to like senior management. Yeah, so question for the floor, like have you ever felt like a fraud and that is you don't you feel like you don't belong where you are and that your successes were like just a stroke of luck or like by chance wow um okay to be honest i think just now when i was listening to the both of you read out my achievements or my cv and i was just realizing that i think this is the first time i'm actually feeling very comfortable listening to it Mm. Like right now, like mm. today. What's we the love date today? That. Today, today, today <laughs> is a legendary day. Third of December. Third, third December, twenty twenty two. You know, because um, I've been asked this question before, and I my response was always like, "Dude, like it's not whether have I felt, it's when have I not felt mm. like an imposter." How I'm feeling now is that okay? I can listen to this without cringing. I think for me, I work in deep tech. I work in cybersecurity. Um, it's an extremely male dominated industry. Um. I mean, over the weekends, I, I host and produce this podcast. So for me, I've always felt like I'm not creative enough to be in the creative field. And I don't feel like I'm tech or like I'm analytical enough to be in cybersecurity because I studied journalism in school. So I still am facing this imposter syndrome thing like on a constant basis. So I think there's a lot of things I can learn from Yang today. Just being comfortable with like, whatever I've done and like what I'm still doing. When I was preparing this episode, I, I dived into like a heap of articles. And so here are some warning signs that will make things more like tangible, like if you face this. So one of it is that you always believe critique, but you find it very difficult to accept praise. Um, other common warning syndromes include like chronic self-doubt or excessive procrastination because you feel like I cannot match up to certain expectations. So I'm just going to put this off for as long as I can. But it's not really the same thing as like low self-esteem. In fact, some researchers have also linked it with perfectionism, especially among women and also among academics. So today we have Yang in the studio because we also want to talk about working in a creative industry, right? So other than cultural and lifestyle factors, people who work in jobs with less measurable or like how do you even like put a KPI to art, for example? So people who work in the creative industry, for example, may be more susceptible to imposter syndrome. And that's why we wanted to begin this by also asking like Yang, like for you, how do you even begin to measure or quantify success in the creative field? Okay, this is a, a big one. Okay, firstly, I think we can look at it in two points, right? One, which is like, what's the market rate for success? <laughs> You know, which is the hard stuff, which is like, are we talking about awards? Are we talking about yeah. what is it in this society, in this capitalistic society that we live in? What are things that people recognize? Just so, you know, the world keeps moving. And then you have the soft side, which is, do you wake up happy? Do you walk through the door of your office feeling fulfilled? Things like that. Things like these, I feel like whether you feel it or not, the world will still keep moving. But there are things that I feel for as long as we are embedded in a society, we want to see how we can fit in to be a part of society okay well um i just applied and i got my um, artist visa for the u.s Woo-hoo! right thank you yay yeah, I know. it's Moving a soon. big thing yeah. i know <laughs> yeah it is it is a very big thing 
And I will share with you the six criteria that was needed by the U.S. Immigration Office to prove that I'm an artist. Mm. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is interesting. So, um, okay, firstly, it's the O-1 visa. So, it requires that you prove yourself to be an extraordinary alien in your field. Okay. okay. So, either you are a researcher, an author, a celebrity, um, or a producer, writer, whatever. So, either ways, there are six criteria. First one is that you had worked with significant brands. Have they operated stores worldwide, Southeast Asia, blah, blah, blah. You got to plug all of that. Have you played a significant role in a project? So, for example, if it's a photo shoot, no photographer, no photos, right? Okay. So, um, so for example, for me, no set designer, no set law. Uh. <laughs> you know? So, that's two. Third one is if you have won an international award. So, for myself, it's the MAMA Award that yeah. really helped. And fourthly, um, if you have a lot of press. Press written either about you or about your work. So that means your work has either been published in many different platforms, different magazines, or like, you know, for myself, um, I did do a lot of profile interviews just to help getting those PR clippings and all that. Uh, did I say four? Yeah, five. It's, oh, you earn a significantly higher income than the rest of your peers. So that means if other people charge like a certain amount, yours is like premium. So you kind of wow, need your accountant to prove that. that. I don't have that. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay. Sixth one, I think, is that you're probably either a judge or on a panel of, like, you know, significant competitions or whatever to to say that, like, your words hold weight. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But either ways, you need three um, to have a good case, a strong case to prove to the immigration. It kind of gave me that perspective because half the time, what we really want to do here with the lawyers is that, firstly, they don't give a shit who the f*** you are, Yang. The immigration officer is just going to sit on his chair. He just wants to chop something, right? Mm. He just wants to know what have you done and how can you bring value to the market in the US. It was hard for me, I must say. Um, If this is about just citizenship, about not being kicked out of the country for three years, this is as plain as it goes to probably what would define me as an artist. And I was telling myself for the past six months of applying this visa is that like, for the longest time, I've been feeling like an imposter. But you know what? Once I get this visa, I am a real artist. It's not even a museum that's going to be able to give that to me or any other like curator or whoever powerful. Yeah. If the bloody immigration officer calls me an artist and let me in, I am one. <laughs> okay. Was, was this process helpful in helping you collect your thoughts and put together everything? Yeah. With this very practical, pragmatic criteria as to how the world defines that you are a worthy artist, that you are a successful artist, that you can bring value, then, okay, I see how the world works. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I think it must have been quite an emotional process. Just now you mentioned this is probably the first time you felt comfortable with hearing someone list out half your CV even. So we want to ask, like, how do you feel about your successes? How have you reached a point where you can say, you know what, I'm not Pisces about people kind of narrating my entire CV and my achievements. Mm. Like, what was that process like? That what changed to help yeah, me feel what comfortable changed? now? Honestly, getting the visa. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I swear to God, because the process is rigorous. By rigorous, I mean like, therefore, I had to mentally detach myself from like what things and work mean. Because sometimes, you know, when, as creatives, we're the ones that made the work together with the team. Mm. We are so deep into it that like it's hard for us to feel proud because at the same time of wanting to celebrate those success, we are also remembering the painful parts, the struggle. Yeah, It is hard to like kind of compartmentalize both, hey, you know, we did do a good job mm. is what we planned for it to be. And at the same time, there were struggles to get there. 
So holding both and then getting the, to understand what success is. Was there a point during your career that you felt that maybe the work that I, I do, I, I don't know how to put it out there and be proud of it. Was there a point that you mm. experienced that? I think for work-wise, I don't struggle that much about talking about my work because I always work with a team. So I can always find something to talk about. I can talk about the people that help me. I can talk mm. about the... Yeah. It really took a village. It always takes a village to get something to happen. But I think where that imposter syndrome really comes is when perspectives, or rather branding, matter a lot. And I think that's a bit more on the art world. Of like, okay, do I look like an artist? And that part I struggle a bit more because from where I'm from, as in like, you know, social class and like my parents, mm. the way I was brought up, I shouldn't stand a chance in the art world, to be frank, you know? I didn't go to art school. My parents didn't even go to uni. Um, and we never had any um, opportunity mm -hmm. to be in touch with fine arts, you know? So my form of creativity is how do we stay alive? How do we be street smart? How do you learn to talk mm -hmm. to people? Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you can have conversations with either the taxi uncle to like the hawkers to... But at the same time, learn to be able to hold your ground if you find yourself in a room of people of higher status than you. So these became my playground of creativity. Mm. What kind of <laughs> thoughts were running through your head? Like, let's yeah. say you're in a room and there are all these people that seem like really accomplished and really yeah. intimidating. Like, what are sort of like the things that you tell yourself? Mm -hmm. I am very, very grateful to my dad. He's, very, he's a very calm person. But at the same time, he's what people would call like a um, people's person. Not mm. a people's pleaser, but a people's person. person yeah. So he can go from like speaking perfect English to the moment that he gets into the taxi, he's like rambling off in Hokkien or whatever with the driver. Um, and he's the one that taught me to treat everyone equally, including okay. myself. Okay. Which means if I find myself in a room, I am as equal a human being deserving to be in this room. So that I'm not just terrified of them. But in the same way, it helps me to treat everyone equally too. Mm. And when then I look at them as equals, you know, I stop being weird or like <laughs> being too like... Like nervous. Yeah, but I do be, I do get simpy, so that's fine. When I meet like <laughs> my favourite author, then I'm not an equal, it's fine, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's normal. Yeah. We all do that. We all, yeah. yeah. So, um, that shift of perspective and taking a deep breath to be like, hey, Yang, you know, they are a human being too. Maybe let's take it back to when you first started. Was there a point in time where you ever felt like you were not up to task and uh, there was just this fear holding you back because you didn't have enough of confidence or experience and when people came at you, you really just didn't know what to do? How do you get from that place to where you are now? Right. I overcompensate. <laughs> you know? So... Okay, you know, there is this like thing that floats around that people say when you are creative, right? There are three things. So either your work is always on time or you're really nice or your work is really good. So you can be two at any point of time. You don't have to be all three. So if your work is always on time, you're really nice, your work doesn't have to be good. If your work is good and you are always on time, you don't have to be nice. If you are nice and your work is good, you don't have to be on time. Bro, you can always be late. <laughs> And I thought when I was starting out, I was like, dude, I have none of all these. That means I need to be all three. I need to be on time. I need to be nice. I need to be good at what I do. So that was when I'm like hardcore pouring myself to be at your service. You know, which I mean, eventually leads to my burnout <laughs> in 2017. But um, yeah, are we surprised? Um, that's not good though. Yeah, that's yeah, not good. Burnout's not at good. At that point of time, 
that was the only thing that made sense to me. Mm, that okay. if I don't have much, and it's not like I could speed that process up either. So I overcompensated a lot. Um, what changed and what helped me to be more confident now is, mm. um, yeah, I went through that terrible burnout. Mm. Yeah, I think hitting rock bottom. Like, really? what was it like? Yes. Because this is a common, like, consequence mm. of imposter syndrome when it's not, like, managed properly. Yeah, that's when you end up overcompensating. Yeah. And you empty yourself out. You don't take breaks because you're like, at every time I'm not doing something, I, I should be doing something. Because mm. I am lacking, right? I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough knowledge. I felt like I was holding on to my breath for a long, long time. Yeah, to the point that um, in November 2017, interestingly, when I came back from Hong Kong after getting the Mama Award, that was the descent. And it was a very gradual descent. If anything is a small crack, that crack grows over time. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, whoa, the whole piece of glass can barely hold its hold, own weight. Yeah. How I felt was that I felt very meaningless. I felt like nothing I did matter. I became really, really, really cynical. I would take the bus. I would look at people on the streets and I'm ask. I'm looking at them and I'm asking myself, what do they think they're doing? They're just walking on the street. Because I feel nothing. So I started projecting all these, right? Mm. I cannot partake in people's joy. I don't understand that. And because I was completely emptying myself out at work, my family part, I, I couldn't take care of it either. And all of these accumulated. And I felt like when I looked out into life, Everything was desaturated. It was just one shade, like, less vibrant. It, it really is when life became grey. Mm. I, I couldn't, and I remember, like, I just dropped off social media. And then I became really, really suicidal, where I was a danger to myself. And that point, what scared me was how calmly I would say it to myself. I have normalised it, it has become part of my script, and I had to be with people. Yeah. Even though my friend, she was just going for a haircut with her grandma, I said, can I come along? Yeah, I don't have to talk, but I just need to be with people so that I will not be a danger to myself. Yeah. Because I, it, that voice in my head is so calm. Um, so that was, yeah, it was very bleak, you know. And then 2nd January was my first therapy session. Because at that point, it was the one last thing I haven't tried. I've caught Samaritans of Singapore. Mm. Um, so I went for it and then honestly, it changed my life. That first month, I had to see my therapist four times. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't even imagine one thing to wake up to make the next invoice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, like kind of the straws that you grasped at to get yourself out of that. I think your thoughts have changed quite a bit, like from the very scary burnout point to like now. So I guess the question is, really, what are the kind of thoughts that you are having now, and like how have you like found your place mm. with your work, with your identity? Therapy really, really turned my life around. Okay, love that. So the very first session, I spent the first hour rambling. I was downloading my entire life onto yeah. this woman who um, does not know me, right? At the end of it, she asked me this thing. She asked me this question. She said, Okay, Yang, I hear you talk about your family, your dog, your friends, all these people that you care about. And she was pointing you know, at her fingers and then she looked at her palm and she said, But where is this person in the middle? I went speechless. And I was floored. And so that was why I was convinced to keep coming back. So the past few years was really building on this. What self-identity means. Yep. You know, go to the edges to find out where it scares me. And then I come back, I'm like, oh, okay, that was fun. I don't want to do it ever again. That is my extreme. 
Yeah. Okay. Actually, it leads quite nicely into one of the questions we wanted to talk about. And that's because imposter syndrome actually disproportionately affects Asian women. And that kind of stems from someone's upbringing and culture. So, for example, if girls have been exposed to thought patterns that discriminate against women at a young age, like you, you've heard from your mom or your aunt that at the workplace... There's this need to prove yourself. I've heard narratives of my mom telling me like, oh, I need to work like twice as hard um, to make sure that I'm not looked at in a certain way. I'm like, I'm not weaker and stuff like that. So as a result, there is a higher likelihood of women experiencing imposter syndrome. So in that vein, have you ever felt that you've had to hold your own against men in like a workplace context? Mm. I mean, I'm grateful that like, yeah, I don't think I've had to prove capabilities wise. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the other stigma that kind of looms over, you know, in the room is when people think that women are too emotional to be at work. You know, it's less about like you can't get a job done. It's that you're too emotional. So Mm -hmm. either your emotions get in the way of you getting your job done or that I cannot um, trust that you will make a rational decision when it comes to high pressure. I think that one sticks but to prove that I deserve to lead a team that I deserve this hot seat that I can get us out of situations should they arrive Mm -hmm. yeah I do remember having to stare at people in their eyes and like really like are you questioning me yeah I guess my question is like (laughs) how do you feel like you have grown from experiences like this to Mm. to become like even more like confident of your place. Mm. One thing I've noticed um, in the past few years is that what brings out my confidence is when you tap into my motherly instincts. Mm. Is when I'm needed to protect somebody else. Okay. But when you somebody is like doing it at me, I am. I, I have no backbone. <laughs> I have no spine. Yeah. I'm just like yeah. Yeah. Do so I like, what if it's like directed one, at you? Then that, how? That one takes a long time. That one takes a long time. <laughs> that one I glitch after I finish glitching. Then I'm like, oh my god, what's happening? Then okay. I, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but if it's about protecting somebody else, especially when it's my team, um, when I'm put in that position, that one it becomes instinctive. Yeah. But when it's at me and when you ask me to fight, I just get personal. I'd be like, you fat. <laughs> Oh. It has nothing to do with the work. You see, I get personal. <laughs> I get like completely. <laughs> it's like no, this argument doesn't even work, okay. bro. Like, I'm that person, you okay. know. So, yeah, I, I'm sure it took you a, a bit of a, some some time and some confidence to to build up to that level where you want to protect your team and and stuff like that. I guess the question is like, how do you best find that balance between work which can sometimes feel like an extension of like your identity. identity yeah and mental wellness as well yeah i okay firstly i these obviously are very very layered not just topics but um truths that we might each hold because for some people you know work can just be work Mm, yeah. For me, I really don't separate myself from my work. Yeah, I feel like my work gives me my purpose, my calling or whatever that people call it. So it's hard for me to be like, okay, I'm done with this job and then I check out, I don't think about it, I go home, yeah. right? But I think what helps is I think with time and with reflection comes maturity. And I think what maturity for me now means, it's about accepting nuances and being able to stand by my own decisions being able to own it 
and physically where I feel it is from deep inside me like um gut area of okay. like I need to find that strength and it's steadfast it feels firm but gentle at the same time instead of feeling at like my chest where it's like I have to prove I have to yeah. say something I have to Okay. When you really have nothing to your name, you want to prove that's so human, that's normal. Of course, like, what the... I mean, <laughs> dude, like, when I was in uni, like, what do I have to my name? I waitress a lot, yeah. So did I, by the way. <laughs> Why? It's still something. I think it's still a formative building experience, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, like, um, so now it's about digging deep inside. And that's what I meant by the more we practice being in these situations and showing up, the more we recognize how it feels like. It's kind of like, you know, if you have lived with your parents and when they are coming home, you recognize the key, you recognize the footstep. It gets familiar to you. So I think it's about recognizing these things because we are, I think, very familiar with fear, with anxiety, with insecurity. You know when it shows up. And just by pure habit, it is so much easier to feel those things. I think just before we wrap, we kind of want to backtrack a little bit because we do have a lot of fears, right? And I think a very big fear for many people is the fear of failing. And so I wanted to ask, you know, like, what is your relationship with failure like? And you mm. told me years ago, so I've met, I've met Yang like years ago, and she told me, you need to fail fast and then you can try again. That's great. Uh, I think that's a great question. Because I did find myself um, confronting this question once again, especially recently since I'm making my move to New York. And I'm terrified. Honestly, I'm terrified. (laughs) I go there and I don't get to fulfill my dream of um, being able to work on international works. And I don't really want to come back, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) How I, my view towards failure now, it's, you know what, I'm going to fail at some point. I really am. Even now as I'm saying it. I think it takes a lot to say that. There's going to be cuts. There are going to be scripts. And and I have fallen, yeah, when I went running. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I know, you know, like, because I remember I tore my, my leggings and like um, my knees were like bloody, bloody and all that. And I yeah. remember looking at my knees and go like, this is real. You know, you can't like guess like somebody and be like, no, that's not a failure. Just turn it into a lesson. Mm. I'm like, dude, like, the skin that fell off, yeah, it's really skin that fell off. One yeah. thing is that now you know how to fail. You get what I mean? But I think every failure is so different. Okay. Um, Because if I fail again at the same thing, then whoa, okay. Like, I kind of have to <laughs> learn. <laughs> mm. I'm definitely um somebody who preps. Mm. To believe in myself that when I do fall, either myself or I have enough resources around me, friends, people that you know, will will be there for me yeah. because I would be there for them in a heartbeat at the same time. Um, These are things, but these are just thoughts, nice thoughts, words. At the end of the day, it's still a physical action that you pick yourself up. Yeah. We were reading and researching about imposter syndrome and we were looking at some of the tips of, of how to deal with imposter syndrome and whatever that you just described, it is... It's the, quite similar, it's right? very to similar what we have here. to the next tip that we're about to share with you because it is more about reframing that fixed mindset into a, a growth mindset and seeing failure and seeing all these mistakes that you're potentially going to make as learning opportunities and knowing how to fail. I think <laughs> that is something that I find very in- inspiring from whatever that you've just shared. And I think you, you forgot that you're very kind to yourself also. <laughs> oh. Do you realise? Like, oh, that's nice. 
Um, <laughs> all the tips that you gave to yourself and putting yourself through it and assuring yourself and being calm and using that same voice to, to reassure yourself just like how you reassure a oh, friend. Thank you, thank you. No, because I can assure you I have said way nasty things to myself that I would never have said to anybody. Mm. And it was therapy that really learned to catch that voice which is a bully and this voice is even more insidious than your best friend because this voice knows you best it has been living with you for the longest time mm. so it's gonna if you have been a person who uses humor that voice is gonna use humor yeah right. I, I like it how you mentioned therapy and seeking professional help as well and I think to anyone who is listening to this right now if you're just considering going for therapy like just go for it and yeah whatever Yang has shared today sort of um, puts this into perspective we just want to wrap up today's conversation with mental health we've spoken a lot about uh, imposter syndrome how to to get over it and you've shared with us your journey of how you've come since you've graduated to winning the award and uh, where you are right now before you're going for embarking on a new journey on a new adventure very exciting so yes tell us more about what's going on right now at Marina Bay Sands, we heard something's going on. Yes, um, I am part of the exhibition at the Art Science Museum, Mental Colors of Wellbeing. Yes, it will be up until 26 February 2023. So there's still time. Go see it. Uh, the work that I have there, one of it, the first one is called Receipts from Therapy. So that's my first body of work. Um, there are receipts that you can see on the wall, actual receipts from my therapy. And each one I had written over it. Mm. And it was written like at that point of time. Yeah, it kind of basically like, yeah, you couldn't find better paper, is it? But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really um, because when I was collecting all these invoices, right? I remember the first time I saw it and it said psychological counseling, $230, the price aside. But I was looking at the word psychological counseling and I was like, wow, I need to be so serious or not. <laughs> And there was a natural stigma that came with it because I had internalized that. Mm. That I was like, why is this? Why does this sound so serious? Yeah. So I wanted to, in that act of writing over the receipt, actually rewrite my own narrative. You know, with what I've taken out of that session. So I have a collection of that on the wall there. You can see each one cost two hundred thirty dollars beside my name and things like that. It was definitely something that I had to budget, I had to set aside for. Mm. So that's one. And then the right across it, it's scenes from therapy. Mm. Those are the wigs that we are seeing the creatures move when they detect your presence. Um, And there are two mirrored chairs. Basically, they're placed like how I do in therapy, which is Mm. my therapist sitting right across me. No tables in the middle, no nothing, which kind of represent a really open form of sharing. And the wigs each have a name. These creatures, so they are called like, you know, from exhaustion to clarity to breakthrough um, to confusion and what I was trying to portray is that sometimes we go through exhaustion to reach clarity or sometimes right before breakthrough you are confused you are tired and all that all of them can exist at the same time Mm. you know it is not one or the other and these are the things that happen in a therapy session. That's why it's the scenes from therapy. It's an internal landscape of how I feel rather than exactly telling you, okay, there are two chairs, somebody's going to hold a clipboard, they're going to ask questions. Yeah. I think one last question that we have before we, we wrap is that do you have anything or any words of advice to like tell people who are still struggling with self-doubt? What would you say to them? Mm. Something maybe you write on your wall, something that keeps you going. 
I basically went through a period of time where, um, and this is not when I was starting on my career. It is like, you know, recently. Mm. So it means it's a more, even more nuanced form of questioning. And that one was when somebody questioned the intention of my works, you know, or who I am as a person of like, you know, when talking about sharing your own story, at which point does it become self-indulgent, narcissistic? And I was like, oh, shit. It doesn't hurt as much as I am terrified that that person is right. And I really just wanted to check myself. You know, what can I learn from this? If they are right, then yes, yeah, good. I want to change. But that one took some time because it's very nuanced. Mm. You know, even in talking about mental health, right? It's like, it's so easy to go like, who do you think you are? And why is your pain, your struggle more important than somebody else? Who do you think you are? And when you tell me that immediately, I will want to sit down and I'd want to talk. Because mm. I'll be like, I don't deserve to be here, right? Mm. But again, if I don't even insert myself, let's say amongst a social group, right? Say just friends. Then what value do I bring to the group? If I'm just all about, okay, no, don't talk about me. Let's not talk about me. It's mm. fine. We don't get to partake in connection. We don't get to be vulnerable so that somebody else can learn about me. Mm. Because the whole time, like, don't my my narrative is very lame. There are way more people suffering out there. But yeah, at the same time, how can I share it so that it's not just me, 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 me? So I think this took time to go that um, it's just purely guys don't give up, keep going. No matter how loud those voices are, times where you don't want to stand up, the only thing you can do is to keep showing up. Keep showing up. Try your best. Be patient with yourself. Don't give up. So really, the point is don't stop moving, yeah. and then be patient. Yeah. Yay! Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good luck to you for editing this. <laughs> Maybe you want one Thank of the you, Lusha yeah. file now. That was really honest though. Like, I yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah. Every time we ask this final question where we ask people to share like the final words of advice, after they share it, me and Ibev will just look at each other. We're and like, well, like, we, we, got no, we, uh, we don't know what to say now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we just want to thank you for being so vulnerable today. I think it was not easy to, to sit down and coming to talk about your journey and yeah. to put your life and put your CV <laughs> out there for us yeah. to, to do it. Yeah. Maybe we should read through her CV one more time so that she feels more oh, comfortable. Oh, don't need, don't need. <laughs> <laughs> But yes. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming down today. Thank you. I love you, Yang. Love you too. Fresh Off The Pod is an original podcast from Scape and Scape is an organisation that supports youth, talent and leadership development with outreach to 15 to 35 year olds in Singapore and you can find out more at scape.sg And this podcast was recorded at Scape Live Studios The Pod powered by Audio Technica and City Music so special shout out to Scape for all the magic that you work on this podcast And speaking of magic thank you Black Magic for making us look so good (laughs) That's right (laughs) and our final and most important important shout out goes to our special guest Yang from today so if you want to find her you can find her on Instagram at yangameister underscore so let me try and spell that now y-a-n-g-e-r m-e-i s-t-e-r underscore perfect (laughs) beautiful we did it spelling bee 
Yep. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify so you get a notification every time we drop a new episode. Uh, you can DM us if you have any new episode ideas or uh, at ScapeSG or you can find us at ebev.ly and at Shane So. Bye. Bye. Bye.